Good morning. This is Jack Gatewood, Associate Pastor of Discipleship, and it's my privilege to be with you this morning and bring the Sunday School lesson for the day. So thank you for being here. We're continuing on our 11-week study through the book of Proverbs. And as you've been reading, I trust that you found some real jewels to remember. Let me continue to encourage you to memorize those key verses that really speak to you, whether they challenge you, encourage you, or scold you. Hide God's Word within you so that He'll have more ways and more time to speak to you in the coming days. Now, today's lesson is drawn from Proverbs 22:17 all the way through Proverbs 24, 22. This is the third major section of the book of Proverbs. It is clear from several indications that this is a separate section. The Proverbs here in this part of Scripture lengthen out from the typical one-verse couplets that have characterized the last 12 chapters. Also, we see the phrase, My Son, appearing again for the first time since chapter 9. And thirdly, we read in chapter 22, verse 20, that there are a group of 30 sayings are about to follow. And so these 30 that are in this week's lesson and six more the following week are part of a group of 36 wise sayings. So the emphasis in this section is on the importance of applying the instruction that has been previously given. So chapters 1 through 9 talk about the value of wisdom. Chapters 10 through the first part of 22 talk about examples of wisdom. And now we're talking about the application of that wisdom in the next couple of chapters. Many scholars don't believe that Solomon was the sole writer of these 36 sayings of the wise. Uh, they point to the title that these are the sayings of the wise, and it's a plural. So perhaps there were several writers who worked with him, or this was the work of several men and, and, and wisdom that had uh, been accumulated over the years. We're not sure, and it's not really that important, but this, this is great wisdom and how to apply it. So let me begin with the very first verse in this section, chapter 22, verse 17. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your mind to my knowledge. We're told to incline our ears to the words of the wise. That's a really a funny phrase, to incline our ears. An incline is a labor-saving device designed to make it easier to move heavy loads to different heights, something lower, something taller. Slides and wheelchair ramps are examples of simple inclines. The reason that we are to incline our ears is to put them in a position to more easily receive instruction and wisdom. For a person to incline their ear means to be in a position where you can hear truth. We do that by attending worship services or Bible studies or doing Bible study on your own or listening to Bible teachers by reading and studying God's Word. In other words, setting aside a time to understand God's Word is how we incline our ears. We put ourselves in a position to more easily hear God's instruction. So I thank you today for tuning in and hearing this lesson. And as doing such, you're inclining your ear to hear God's wisdom. Now, in these 30 pearls of wisdom, the writers or Solomon, whomever, has emphasized the need to pay close attention to the wisdom here. Heeding and following these proverbs would enable God's people to trust Him and to follow His leadership, living in a way that is pleasing to Him. The wisdom that God gave to Solomon is intensely practical. Its benefits are many. They touch on the spiritual, the relational, the physical, and financial aspects of our lives. The God-breathed words of this book offers counsel how to live a sound and fruitful life. Now, the first 10 of these 30 uh, Proverbs here is all about wealth and power. And though they're not in our focal passage, 
There's just too much good stuff here to just pass them all by. So I'm going to read a couple of those. We want to talk about them. The second one is found in Proverbs 22, verses 24 and 25. Do not associate with a man given to anger, or go with a hot-tempered man, or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. God's Word counsels explicitly against associating with hotheads. Uh, There have already been earlier warnings about this in Proverbs. One reason is those around a person tend to behave like him. Whoever we're around, we tend to behave like that person. This behavior is displeasing to God and leads to some major complication. It's fine to attend a rally or a protest, but when things get angry and confrontational, God's counsel is to remove yourself. David removed himself from a hot-tempered king, King Saul. Jesus warned his disciples to put away the sword when the Sanhedrin came to arrest him. Parents, the deal is you need to train your kids and your grandkids about them. They will emulate the behavior of those they hang out with. So for you, the deal is to uh, know who they hang out with. Know the kids your kids play sports with. Know who they uh, hang out with and are most familiar with and whose homes they go to. Teach them how to spot an angry person. Point that person out in movies and television shows that you watch together or when you're in stores. Point them out. Let them see examples of angry behavior and know that God warns against associating with those kind of people. Then in the seventh one um, to parents, it says in Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5, Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. So he's just talked prior to those verses about social prestige and social climbing. The writer now warns that wealth is not something to be pursued either. The reason is that it is elusive and temporary. It is not the be-all or the end-all for any human, especially one who would make the Lord his priority. Brother Keith reminded us in Daniel chapter 4 about King Nebuchadnezzar's bout with insanity because of his trust in his wealth and power. It disappeared literally overnight. Jesus and Paul both warned against it. Jesus in chapter 6 of Matthew, verses 19 and 20 said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So scripture is very consistent throughout that we're not to seek after and set our eyes and goals upon accumulating wealth. So again, parents and grandparents, how do you teach this truth to your kids? The greatest way you can teach this truth is to let your life exemplify what is the true focal points of you and for your family. As knowing Christ and walking in fellowship with Him take precedence, that lesson is reinforced and impressed on the minds of those in your family. Now the next seven uh, Proverbs in this passage are all about parents instructing their children. So I want to pick up in chapter 23, beginning with verse 15, all the way through verse 21. Here the writer of the Proverbs says this, My son, if your heart is wise, my own heart also will be glad, and my inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. Do not let your hearts envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord always. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. 
Listen, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Do not be with heavy drinkers of wine or with gluttonous eaters of meat, for the heavy drinkers and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe one with rags. Listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth, do not sell it. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. The writer says that the great joy of any father is to see his son act wisely. Today, I hear so many parents saying that they just want their kids to be happy. And though that's not a bad thing, it's really not a scriptural goal. The biblical goal of parenting is to see your kids seek the Lord and then act wisely in line with His Word. One of the scariest things, I think, for any parent is to watch their child begin to talk and act like they, the parent, do. Because children begin by desperately needing and wanting a role model to pattern their life after. So the parent who constantly is sharing, discovering, and acting on God's Word is much more likely to have a child who also does the same. I remind you this is not a promise, but it is the wisdom of the ages and it is the wisdom of God that these things make the best sense. Then he warns the child about another group of people not to hang out with, that is, sinners. Now, a word of advice. We are all sinners, but that's not what the writer is warning about. Is about those who live a lifestyle of defiance of God's word. Uh, there are parts of their life that look appealing. Solomon reminded that young men to maintain their fear of the Lord and not get led down a destructive path by the mistaken view that sinners have it good. Instead, they should hold to the wise instruction they've already received as young men. It was imperative that they keep their mind on the right course. In order to do this, Solomon advised them not to keep company with those who indulge themselves with wine and food. So in verse 20, we see, Do not be with heavy drinkers of wine or with gluttonous eaters of meat. He warns them, These people live only for the moment. Habitual alcohol consumption and gluttony are often used to dull the senses and the emotions. It's a temporary escape that ends up consuming one's health and his resources. They will serve as a form of self-medication, but the relief is short-lived. The problems are still waiting for them when the effects of the food or the alcohol have worn off. Instead, God's people are to turn to Him when life is hard or painful. Keeping our minds on the right course is critical. The writer understood that what people think when facing a crossroads will determine the path they take. Keeping our minds focused on godly wisdom written down for us in the Bible will help us make wise choices and avoid harmful ones. Instead of turning to mind-numbing chemicals, God's people remain clear-headed, focused, and fully able to engage. We know that alcohol impairs mental ability, but actually gorging on food also leaves one groggy, affecting productivity. Both these unhealthy habits impair the health and quality of life. God, in His kindness, warns us that either of these habits can lead us to poverty. It's important that we exercise God's wisdom in both these areas. Now, the final 13 Proverbs in this section are of varied sorts and not around a single theme. Uh, one of the ones that gets the most attention, though, again, is more warnings about alcoholism. So I want to begin now reading in chapter 23 with verse 29. Here's what the writer says. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long over wine. 
Those who go to taste mixed wine do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. As the last, at the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your mind will utter perverse things. And you'll be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea or like one who lies down on the top of a mast. They struck me, but I did not become ill. They beat me, but I didn't know who did it. When shall I wake? I will seek another drink. Solomon writes here, warning of the enticing appeal of alcohol with a warning. It gleams in the cup. It goes down smoothly, but in the end, it bites like a snake. When dealing with life's problems, the mind-numbing effects of alcohol add to its appeal and it's, it's a slippery slope, though, toward addiction and alcohol abuse. Solomon describes the person who lingers over wine and then goes looking for more. Brother Keith has reminded us often in sermons that the Bible doesn't prohibit drinking. Uh, but what it prohibits is drunkenness. From the earliest parts of Scripture to the very end, drunkenness and gluttony are things that it talks against. And Keith has often said, if we never take the first drink, then we're never going to become uh, a drunkard. No one ever set out to become one, but he begins with a single drink. I know that in my family, my grandfather was an alcoholic, my brother's an alcoholic, and I know they didn't begin that way, but it started with a drink. So it makes no sense to even begin drinking when you know where it can lead. Our culture is uh, filled with advertisements and entertainment venues that equate alcohol consumption with the good life. What they don't show is the physical abuse or the date rape, the torn families, the financial ruin, lost jobs, injury, death, uh, wrecked lives, emotional turmoil. All these things are the product of too much drinking. Solomon described the loss of mental reasoning. He said they see strange things and say absurd things. This impaired mental capacity lowers healthy inhibitions and self-control. Solomon compared this person with someone who sleeps at the helm of a ship. The fruits of the Spirit are described in Galatians 5, and they include self-control. Satan, who is the enemy of our souls, wants to control us instead. So alcohol, drugs, even food can be abused and lead us into Satan's trap. In a nearby state here, they have cases of three people who've died recently by uh, drinking hand sanitizer. It's not that they wanted to clean their inside, but they wanted the methanol that was in there, and they were desperate for alcohol, and it leads to bad reasoning, and it's happened in many, many places. And this is just one of the outcomes of people uh, being addicted to uh, too much food or alcohol. It impairs our reasoning. Some say that a glass of wine is good for you or for your health or that a drink is relaxing. Even if we assume those statements are true, the negative impact that consumption of alcohol has on our society cannot justify any of the benefits there's no question that drinking causes serious health problems. It causes car accidents. It causes violent behavior. It causes criminal activity. It breaks up marriages and is a crippling addiction for many. Almost every individual has a friend or family member who was or is an alcoholic. Practically every person has or knows someone who's been the victim of a drunk. Here's just a few stats to remember. About 18 million Americans have alcohol problems according to the National Council on Alcoholism and Drug Dependence. More than half of all adults have family history of alcoholism in their family. One quarter of all emergency room admissions, one third of all suicides, more than half of all homicides and incidents of domestic violence are related to alcohol. Heavy drinking contributes to illness in each of the top three causes of death, heart disease, cancer, and strokes. Half 
of all traffic fatalities are alcohol-related, and between 48 and 64% of people who die in fires had blood level alcohols indicating intoxication. intoxication. So it just leads to so many problems. So what's the central truth of this lesson for you? It is who will be the central decision maker in your life? Who will you listen to? Will it be you and your ability to reason and judge and, and evaluate, or will it be God's Word and whatever He says, even when we don't understand it, even when we don't like it, will we allow Him to make those decisions for us? When I was in college and I was becoming serious about the Lord in my life, I realized there were things that I thought, ways that I reasoned, arguments that I believed, causes I supported that were not in line with God's Word. And I could not see the truth of God's Word and how it could really be right. But I asked God to help me understand and help me change, and He began very quickly to change my thinking and show me the error of my ways. So the question is, who gets to make the decisions in our life? Do we or does God? And the word here in Proverbs 22 and 3 and 4 is to allow Him to make those choices. So who will you turn to when facing a challenge? Who do you say you fear? Is it the Lord or is it someone or something else? And uh, I'd ask you also, is the company you're keeping encouraging you to live a godly uh, lifestyle of self-control? Because he warns us who we keep company with. And so as we consider these problems for our own lives, I want to encourage you to ask yourself, who's the company that you keep? Who are the people that you follow? And what are the example they set for you? And what example do you set for those around you? Well, I want to thank you for being with us today. Uh, it's a lot to cover, a lot of great truths in here, and I hope that you've uh, enjoyed looking at these and they'll give you a uh, cause to further consider them throughout the week. Um, as we get ready for next week, I'm going to encourage you to read uh, chapter 24, beginning with verse 23, all the way through chapter 29. It's a huge section of Scripture, but there's a lot of great stuff in there. And again, the challenge that I've given you before is to read a chapter of Proverbs a day. Um, Today is August the 2nd, and so today's a great day to read uh, Second Proverbs, Proverbs 2. And then uh, tomorrow, read Proverbs 3, and read those one, one uh, chapter of Proverbs every day, and it will bless you. So I'm going to invite you at this time to join me in prayer as uh, we close our study together. Father, we thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. Uh, we thank you for and ask that you deliver us from thinking that we have it all figured out because we need your instruction. We thank you for the clarity of what you teach and the fact that you repeat it over and over so that we'll get it, Father, that who we hang out with, who we spend time with, who we associate with makes a difference. Father, help us to be one people would want to be with because we're a good influence and we're a good influence, Father, as we allow you to live through us. People uh, need uh, to live close to you. And Father, if we let you live through us, we become one of those people. So we ask that you would use us we ask, Father, that your life would be seen in us and that we'd allow you more and more to give control, to take control of our life, and that we'd be wise by allowing you to do that. We thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit, which empowers us to do all those things that you ask us to do. Father, we ask you to protect us, watch over us, watch over our loved ones. Father, help us to live differently in these days of turmoil in our world uh, so that you might receive the glory from it. So we thank you and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.